Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time. And the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. This is The Numbers Game, episode 16. This episode, fast-tracking your business success. And I'm here with two of the best in business, Nick and Marty. How are we today, guys? Fantastic, Jace. Looking forward to today. We get back on business. We've been talking about financial planning and there's some insurance stuff coming up, but this is the stuff we really like. We want people to make more money. It's our time to shine. Make money. We're going to talk about NFTs. I've got a whole suite of things I'm really looking forward to, Jace. Yep. I'm going to be sharing, finally a losing it segment for me. I'll be sharing an example of how a business owner that I know I've got it wrong and lost a lot of money. Let's play. Reading the play, what's going on in the industry, interesting facts, pieces of piece of advice, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Barty, before we stuff this up anymore. What have you got on reading the play today? Oh, mate, you know, English is your second language there for a minute, mate. You did well to recover. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, the source code of the World Wide Web has been sold as a non-fungible token, NFT. Now, Jason, you got us onto this in earlier episodes, so I've just had an interest in it and been following it up. So you bought that, did you? (laughs) Yeah, but it sold for $7.21 million. Isn't that incredible? The owner... Seems cheap. Well, Well, I'm just going to put it out there. But what are you buying? You're just buying a digital certificate saying that... But there's only... like It's it's the, the internet, right? Like if you if you compare it to some t- buying a tweet, I know what I'd prefer. Is that good point? No. The owner, yeah. Sir Tim Bernards Lee, invented it in 1989. The code comprises of 9,500 lines of code, as well as the HTML of documents on how to use it. NFT is a proof of ownership of a digital asset, as we know. And I just think, talk about creating your own market. He wouldn't have thought that was coming back in 1989, but he's put that into his own charity fund. But another interesting piece was a picture of uh, Queen Elizabeth II is set to go for sale uh, on auction at Australian Auction House. The physical picture will be auctioned off and the NFT will be auctioned off as well. So you've opened up a can of worms, young Jason. This is this is going nuts. This is really going nuts. But I thought it was just interesting based on you bringing it up in previous episodes. This is a real market that is flying. It's funny when somebody says, like, oh, I haven't seen a white BMW before. And you walk out on the street and you see white BMWs everywhere as an example. That's all I see now. Like, as soon as we mentioned the NFT thing, I've just seen it everywhere. Like, whether it's an NBA playing card or a picture of the Queen. Kate Moss, I think, had some videos that she sold. And now it's the source code of the internet. Uh, Marty, this week I wanted to bring up just really how much people are taking on your advice. You um, you you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that people should be buying um, their own premises for for their business to lease. I read an article 
on the weekend. So this is probably two weeks after you brought this up, if that. But the number of small businesses buying their office, factory or warehouse is on the rise. The first quarter of 2021, I'm not sure if that was pre or post Marty's advice, saw a $4 billion increase in the level of SMSF lending. So Certainly now, post. Mm. Post. Now, now, how do they relate? Well, most people, when they're borrowing inside their super fund these days, they are buying a commercial premises um, to operate their business out of. Uh, why do they do that? Jace, you could probably answer this question, but um, cheap rent, so any rent, they can pay themselves rent and that rent can then pay the property off over time. They've got a great tenant, as you've said, Marty. Um, but it's, it's, it's also meaning that there's particular uh, asset classes in the commercial space that have got significant increase. Um, so industrial land prices in Melbourne's west it's just a stat I picked up. Industrial land prices in Melbourne's west have increased by 20% in the past eight months. So it's pretty significant when you compare that to, to the residential property markets. Obviously, they're going up by not by that, but not by that level, depending on the on on, on the area. But uh, factories, you know, people buying their own factories, constructing factories because they want to be their own landlord. But the biggest one is industrial land prices. And Jace, I'll ask you why. Would you think industrial land prices would be skyrocketing at the moment? Good question. Demand. There's a, there's a big demand for people. Like money's the cheapest it's ever been. Yep. Business owners have had so much stimulus thrown at them from cash flow boost, job keeper, and everything else. Mm-hmm. I think um, people are now turning to where can they put their money next. Yep. I think there's been a focus on releasing residential land as well to, mm-hmm. to basically make a supply for the demand in residential and then where that's missed out is that there hasn't been as much of a release of commercial land um, okay. in all the different areas. That's my two cents yep. worth. I, th- I think you're right, particularly with young, uh, with small business and people are earning more money in the last 12 months. They've earned a long time, so we might as well buy an asset. But the biggest thing is the increase in online sales. So, you know, Amazon, uh, Kogan, all these mm. online businesses, one thing they need is warehousing yep. because they don't have they don't have places, they don't have shop fronts. So, all of these um, goods that people are buying online need to be stored somewhere and pushed out somewhere. So warehousing is one of the biggest reasons that industrial land is, is, is growing at the rate it is. Um, so warehouse, storage and distribution. So how do we push these products out to people? So thought it was really interesting. Uh, that's what's driving that space and a lot of people wouldn't have put, the, um, put two and two together. It is, and I've actually got the most emails ever in my inbox at the moment around people asking about buying commercial property. So I think, yeah, very on trend, Nico. Thank you. Listen to Uncle Marty. <laughs> He's looking after you. <laughs> well, I'll look after you too here, Marty, and I'm interested in your uh, thoughts on this and Nick, two guys who are probably got a few little things in the stock market going on. Uh, my reading the play today that I came across was that 2021 – was the best financial year on the record for the ASX 200 since the index began in 2000. So it was up nearly 23.9% up for the 2021 financial year. So think about what happened that year. You've got bushfires that devastated, you know, bloody a quarter of Australia in December. You've got coronavirus that absolutely annihilated the stock market, yet 11 out of 12 months, the stock market was up and it's up nearly 24% for the year. So then that's, you know, that hasn't happened since the mining boom of 2006, 2007, that we had a rise that big. 
Um, I'm a bit skeptical on it all because, you know, you look around the world and everything that's going on. How have we had the best year ever on the stock market? I'll probably get you guys to tell me your thoughts on that shortly. But I just wanted to share with you the biggest winners on the stock market. You've got Aura Cobra, which is Australia's largest lithium producer. They were up 172% for the year. You've got Hub24, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with, but it's a wealth management solution that connects advisors to clients. They have $51 billion under management, and they were up 177%. And then reel these ones all off together. Linus Rare Earths, because this is the mining section, Pilbara Resources, Chalice Mining, they were up 197%, 437%, and 657%. Now, keeping in mind that Bitcoin was up 250% last year, so you didn't have to be investing in crypto to have decent gains. Now, outside of mining stocks and you know what's going on in the ASX, I might get your take, guys, on why do you think in a year that seems like it should have been all turmoil and doom and gloom, the stock market was up so much? Well... Look, there's there's a thousand, well, not a thousand reasons, but I'll put it back to you as an accountant. How are most businesses in your business, or how how are most your clients going that are in business? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Um, there's there's money around. Um, I think a lot of that does come from stimulus, though. So you're looking at people okay. people getting JobKeeper, cash flow boost, government grants. They have ended up with more money than they've ever had before, and I think sitting at home, working from home, or you know not being at work because you're on JobKeeper, you had extra disposable income because you were forced to sit at home for several months in a row of the last year and more or more. So I think people had more money and they looked at went, well, what can I do with it? And I think yep. as well, banks with interest rates of bugger all 1%, not even on my savings, people are going, well, why would I leave my money in the bank if I can put it somewhere to get a better return? So I think then there's a shift of deposits in banks or possibly in the stock yeah, market. Yeah, look, I think the stock market, though, it, it goes beyond people putting money into the stock market. Like, businesses have to be performing. And, um, you yeah, know, the low interest rate environment is great for business. Um, you talked yeah. about your clients with stimulus. There's a lot of ASX-listed mm. businesses that got the stimulus. Um, there's a lot of businesses that don't drive revenue um, that have had exponential gains. You know, Zero. You know, Uber. Um, so it's not all based on the performance of the economy. Like yep. there are other, there are businesses in there that, that just have ideas and possibilities or, you know, mining businesses. Um, you know, you look at um, the renewable space at the moment. Um, the government's committed, I think it's um, half a billion dollars to, to the, re the renewable space. So there's businesses that uh, uh, all, all of a sudden in – in the renewable space and now they're worth this amount of money and they, they haven't got any revenues yet, they're working on it. So you need to remember these things um, when you're looking at the overall value of the stock market. But, um, you know, mining's doing well, um, the banks are doing great and these make up a big part of the index. So um, I think there's just a number of factors that... Yeah, well, I think you've got to have your own strategy. And I, I wrote down, yeah, I wrote down during the week, what the wise man does in the beginning, the fool does in the end. And I think it's a really good quote. And what Nick said was really good is how business is doing that you're seeing, Jason. Yeah, you know, so you've got to yep. look at a share as a company. Yeah. You know, look at the revenues it's making. Look at the profitability, what it's paying out. Actually dig into the share if you're interested to find out because you might be able to get something of real value if, if you get it right. But I go, and the great analogy I always say, it's like, 
it's like Cinderella going to the ball. You know, there's beautiful dresses. Everyone's going into the party. They're drinking more, buying more shares. Mm. Yeah, everyone's looking more attractive. Now, you know at 12 a.m., everyone turns into a pumpkin <laughs> and mice, right? But the problem is there's no clocks. So we don't know mm. how long this goes for. So you need to have real hardcore strategy underneath what you're doing mm. here because everyone's getting overexcited with our strategy. Oh, this went up 300%. This went up 450%. Yeah, get on yeah. the bus. Get on the bus. Pumpkins. You know, <laughs> it's funny. have it's funny. a strategy. It's funny you say that because a couple of my best performing were Macquarie and Zero. Now, Macquarie, I chose off some advice from you, Nick. You said, there you, you go. Know, um, and but I also looked into it myself, and you know Macquarie were they wanted to be the best tech-driven bank in Australia. They didn't need to rely on having bricks and mortar, um, uh, what do you call branches to go into and ATMs in the wall. You know, and now in saying that, it's like, well, how well does Macquarie do? And I, I've never seen a Macquarie ATM, have I? Uh, no, and no, you nailed it. It's about understanding businesses, mm. and um, I'm only bringing this up because I got reminded it the other day, and I, <clears throat> I rang Marty about it because I was quite surprised, but Qantas got hammered during um, COVID, obvious reasons. They can't fly their planes, right? But Qantas is about to have one of their most profitable years on record, and the reason is that a very small part of their um, of their revenue comes from international flights. Most of it comes from domestic and the other reason they're going so well is their frequent flyer program, which is linked to Woolworths. That business or that side of their business is absolutely flying. Um, so, you know, people are spending more money. They're cooking at home. So they're going to Woolworths and spending money on their frequent flyer card. And Qantas are making, uh, are getting um, money out of that. It's not just about people getting points. Qantas make money. The other thing is that, um, and this is the bit that baffled me, but when COVID first happened and they weren't able to operate, they had a cash burn rate. So they were spending uh, $500 million a month. So that, that was their cash burn, half a billion dollars a, a month. They quickly got that down to uh, $300 million a month. So they saved $200 million a month just like that. And they've now got that down to $200 million a month. So you, know, you need to understand a business and not just make assumptions. Okay, well, okay, Qantas has been hit by COVID, but actually not much of their revenue comes from international flights. And yep. what about this frequent fly program? Look how much of their revenue that makes up. So it's, yeah, it's if, if you're into it and you want to go down a rabbit hole, you can start to understand these things. But yeah. Go, go and read a book, The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. It's a great book of understanding the fundamentals of companies beyond just the ticker price, you know, in regards to the ticker history of what a share does. Go in and really understand a business because you'll need less businesses and you'll make more once you build in a strategy mm. of margin. And look, even if you want to be ultra aggressive, like the rule of five, and this is, look, usually I'm a bit more on the conservative side, but if you want to go ultra aggressive and you think, even if you're not thinking of shares, you're thinking about business or anything that makes money, if you can get five times your money on something, if it's you know, 10000 you can make 50000 and you spread that over five different ideas, even if you hit on two, you're still going to double your money and mm. fail on three, right? But what could you, you know, what could you do? I look at Charlie, he's doing a coin collection at the moment. There's a smaller money, right? But he's buying $2 coins that are worth 70 bucks. You know, but he's got specialized knowledge. He's putting in the effort to work mm. out which coins are worth what. So if you're putting the time and effort to educate yourself on where to find, you're talking about the industrial commercial land. 
You've got to take time to educate. Don't be on the back of the party going, oh, this is booming, and then buy on the high and get slaughtered. I, I think this applies to anything. You might subdivide a block of land into six parts. You might hang on to it for 10 years. But you've got to have a strategy of what mm. you want to get out of an investment. And Nick's talked about this many a time. And stick to that strategy. Don't just get emotionally caught up in the hype and get burnt. Because you can make money in any market as long as you've got your own investment criteria that you stick to. And you'll hit when it hits that criteria rather than you getting caught up in the wave and getting burnt. So I hope that makes sense. Well said, mate. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, it's our favourite part of the podcast. Well, it's my favourite part. You might like it, you might not, but I don't care because I love it. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about businesses and businesses that are doing the wrong things in regards to building a business and hurting. And Jason, you've got some particular stories there of what some business owners have done that might necessarily not help them grow and get to the next level. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks, Marty. Look, off the back of wanting to talk about how to fast track your business success, thought of losing it on how not to do that would fit the bill. And I don't often get to do this segment because you do enjoy hogging it up a little bit. But losing it. uh, So, as an example, at a client, um, and he had some money. He had inherited some money um, and decided to start a business. So, wasn't working at the time. Inherited money from um, the parents' estate, and went. Yep, I'm going to start a business. And this was like a full career change, doing something different. I won't go into specifics just for privacy reasons, but at a very high level, basically the idea to start a business to make money. Now, you need to have a few different things, but one of them is a customer that's going to be willing to pay you for the service or product that you want to provide. It's as basic as it gets. Now, and this story reminds me of a book by Eric Rees called MVP, which is your minimum viable product. But I'll tell you where it all went wrong. So having a pile of money... The idea was to basically go out and spend all this money on a flashy website, fancy business cards, really nice looking socials, Instagram, all the rest, and blew tens of thousands, if not six figures worth of money to have the business that looked phenomenal, but had never, ever serviced a client before in their life doing this particular niche or area. Now, in spending all of that money, Yes, you get some GST credits along the way, but you know if you've got a company structure and you're paying wages and whatnot, then you've got compulsory super. There's all different kind of stuff going. You've got costs. You've got costs that continue. You've got insurances and all the rest. So once you've spent all your money on the marketing and the brand and all the fancy stuff, but you still haven't been able to engage a client, what ends up happening at the very end when you run out of money is you go bankrupt or you liquidate or voluntary administration, or you just wind up the business and go, I'm walking away with nothing. That actually ended up happening on this occasion. And we've talked about it before, Marty, you know, and and you're a big advocate for not necessarily spending money on the flashy business cards because you need to prove that you can sell and that you can get sales to to be able to grow your business. Well, I I just think how good does your business have to look before you make a sale? I, I go to me, business, you know, sales is oxygen in the beginning. And if you don't if you don't go out there and test the market and see if you can fill the need then, you know, what's 
what's the point? Uh, like I understand it later on in the business because you're generating cash flow to then mm. put back into the business. But in the beginning, you've got to see if someone wants what you have to sell. Yep. And you've got to get out there and you've got to hustle and you've got to work the you know, late hours to get yep. that, that happening because and- I, I just don't – I don't understand that philosophy. I've seen many businesses come unstuck on that. Mm. Uh, particularly that first couple of years. Yep. And the disappointing thing is, I guess, from an advisory point of view to not be listened to in a way, but I shared our story uh, when we started, you know, it was RB Tax back in the day, Greg and I, we were working full-time jobs. So we we weren't relying on the income, but we also didn't want to go and spend all this money setting up a little side hustle and not know that it was going to work. So we built the website ourselves. You can get a template for like $50 and build a basic website we ordered some business cards on Vistaprint when there was a sale on. So, you know, they do a ridiculous amount of the thinnest, crappy business cards you can get. Sorry, Vistaprint. I know there was premium ones, but we're on a budget. And that was it. We we had a, we already had a mobile phone and internet connection and we had a laptop. And away we went contacting people to say, are you interested in us doing a service for you? Can we do your tax return in exchange for 100 bucks or 150 bucks?" And... It wasn't until we proved that our minimum viable product with MVP, which is where this Eric Rees book comes into it, I think it's Rees or Rise, we proved that our minimum viable product worked. We proved that people would land on our website and put in their name and phone number and say, yes, please do my tax return. We didn't have a fancy sign-up form that collected all the details. We had to call up and do that manually because it was our version one. Once we proved that, then we did the next version of the website, which might have only been like five grand, not fifty or a hundred thousand dollars from the first website when you haven't even proven that you can yeah, get and, a customer. And, and look, Jace, when you're starting a business, the business is really built upon the expertise of the individuals. That's how it starts. So you've got to leverage that into the market. If you've got a specific skill set, you 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 go out there and test that market. So as the business develops, obviously that changes and expands. But initially, you're the one that's driving it, particularly in the services industry. It might be different with products. But I always think, again, you want to test that market, put that value out there in the market, see if it responds. And for me, the biggest testament, if you're doing a good job, is if the person you've served is organically telling other Mm. people about your service, then you know you got something because you're getting that flywheel effect of people then referring on referral. You know you're adding value. So you can really expedite your sales really quickly in the initial stages, but don't get caught up thinking a business needs to look like it would in year five up front mm. because that's a false premise. So that's, that's always been my thought on it, and I've seen people come unstuck time and time again. Well, I think particularly when you nailed it, you said, you know, services versus products, particularly in relation to services in your example, which is probably a lot of our listeners, people buy you. Mm. Um, they don't buy at the website. They don't buy anything other than the service and what you deliver. So that's the easiest thing to do, deliver a good service and then try and attract more customers with your website and, and whatnot. But in your own network, you should have enough people that you can offer the service to, to, to get things up and running, I would have thought. So Jace, you know, you initially go for your sales and you, you know, you're doing well, you're getting momentum. When is the right time to then start investing in some of the more niceties around your business to take it to the next level from your perspective? Yeah, really good question, Marty. Um, I don't think there is a specific straight answer for that, but what I would try to start to think about is when you start to have the income coming in, and if you are running your minimum, vi- minimum viable version of that business, you don't have a lot of expenses. So you're going to start to build up a bit of a cash buffer straight away. 
And then it's when you look at that cash buffer, it's okay, what are our next main expenses we need to continue to grow and scale our business? And again, to use the example for Greg and I, it was, well, when can the first person quit their job to work in the business full time? That was more important than the flashy website or business cards. So that was kind of step one. And we'd mapped out all of these milestones along the way. So it wasn't so much a how long does it take. It was more financial milestones of when we could afford it, which then came back to having a good budget. So obviously the accountant's always going to throw the budget thing in there. But, you know, it's if we couldn't sell a couple of tax returns by messaging people on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and sending them to the website to sign up, Greg and I would still work full-time jobs right now for someone else because we didn't prove that our concept and our model worked. What I love about that, Jace, is you're right. You're getting, you're very nimble in reality of going, this is what we're earning and this is what we're now investing. I mean, it does come a time when you talk to mature businesses where they have to invest in advance mm. of um, of sometimes you know cash flow and looking to take that next step. Nick, have you, have you ever come across that? Because you've you've had a lot of investment in the business in the last year based on growth, but sometimes yep. you you just got to do that, and it's relevant because you've got a fourteen year business. Well, yeah, and you need to understand what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to achieve growth or you know, for us, a big a big focus this year is is margin, and you know, being being careful about when we do invest. And the reason Marty's brought this up because it's a topic in our business. Like it's been growth, growth, growth um, to keep up with market conditions, and because we wanted to grow. But now that we realise, well, okay, well now we need to get some margin in the business and make sure that we bulletproof the business for for quite a time. So. I guess for me to be, what is your actual strategy with that business? And you know, are you trying to get to a particular margin? Because if you are, well, then maybe you get to that margin and then you start to invest. Understand what the percentage of um, re- return is on certain investment. Um, so you just need to look at everything. How are you investing the money? What's going to come back? And is that in line with where you're trying to get your business? Almost reverse engineer it and say, well, how do I get to there? If you've exhausted everything you can do just based on your own efforts. And, yeah. and you're right. And you look at small business owners, like I said, they come from having an expertise in an area, they get sales, they start to develop the business. But at some at some point down the track, you know, you evolve, you evolve, you evolve, and you have to sit down and revolutionize the business as well because there's different life cycles of a business and that's something you have to take note of. And there's different skill sets, different systems, different processes, and different in, you know, intentions in where you want to drive. And Nick said it well, you want to know where you're going and then reverse engineer to get there. So it's um, all things to, to be considered. So I think we've said it time and time again, a plan and a strategy goes a long way. Know what you're trying to achieve. And, and measure. That's one of the things we've learned. Test and measure. Can't improve what you don't measure. Got a question? Email us. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, we've come off the uh, losing. Let's get into the one percenters. Let's give the audience some real tips to, um, you know, propel their business forward. Uh, one of the things I've always thought is a business will never outgrow you as a business owner. So there is a point where you need to you need to let go, or you have to educate yourself in new ways and grow with your business. And that's something I've learned because certain things that I thought were right in year two, um, I was probably out of my depth in year six. And it's um, so it's a constant, it's a constant growing of you as a, as a leader within the business. And I think sometimes that can be, uh, it's not an ego thing, but sometimes that can be hard to let go 
And um, but but sometimes you have to let go and you have to delegate effectively and put the right people in the right position and trust them. But that's not always easy when you've started from scratch, Nick. Have you mm. like have yeah. you found that yourself? Uh, yeah. Well, our business has obviously grown over time and grown probably significantly in the last three or four years. And you, know, you you need to you need to continue to evolve the business and you need to understand that that's probably not going to be you all the time. There's there's different areas of focus as the business gets to you know maybe small to medium you can't be across everything anymore so i think i think for me it was it was the hardest decision to make but it was definitely the best decision was to bring other people in into other roles and you know it you have to be prepared to go through a shift um you, yourself and that's not easy because you've always had control over everything but if you choose the right people to come into your business um they'll challenge you on things they'll bring in other expertise um, and the other thing that we're seeing at the moment is by having other people in our business is specific areas of focus and really being able to drill down on those areas. So as a small business owner, you're trying to be across everything. So you're across your accounts, you're across sales, you're across HR, you're across your, your expenses. So imagine if you had someone in your business, where even if it's only another one or two people, and that was their key area of focus, or you split those key areas of focus up, you're generally going to be better at those areas. So, you know, we're experiencing that at the moment with a few things in our business. Having people just focus on that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing things much better because, you know, we've got, we're not being pulled in eight different directions. Yeah. yeah. And Marty, you said earlier on with the mentoring and education thing. So, you know, the business owner can't outgrow themselves. I absolutely agree with that. So we're only been around four or five years um, in the growth of what was RBK or RB Tax, RBK, and now Future Advisory. In that five years, where I felt we've gone the slowest was when the business owners were too embedded in the business, working day to day in the business rather than working on themselves and then working on the business. That's where we've slowed down and haven't had the biggest success. So I completely agree that the education and, you know, Improving yourself as a business owner is where you're going to get the biggest results. Well, I've said that even in my role in, in you know in sales and leading a sales team. I mean, I'm dealing with everyone that from you know 48 to 52 years of age to 25 to 30 and everything in between. There's different attitudes in different age groups, and you learn so much from them. And you have to develop and recreate your own style to keep people motivated in different demographics. So you've got to be flexible enough to be able to do that. And you've not got to be fixed in your own head going, my way is the only way. You've got to leverage off the group, see what talents are there. And I think one thing I learned as a business owner was, yeah, particularly in the early days, even though you're doing sales, you're trying to save money. But what a real business owner does is try and buy time. And what you recognize is by getting that leading person that you can find out there in the market, the performance of that person is going to be three to four times what you're ever going to be able to do. But you want proven performance. And that's what I look for is I go, how can you get to a result in an area, an impact area, but getting the best person for that role and not looking to get someone based because they're cheaper to get on board. 
It just doesn't make sense. It gets to a point in a business where you really want to leverage the foundations you've built on, get the best you can get, and then it really amplifies that opportunity to that next level. But a lot of the times in that small business mindset, it's natural. And I've been there myself. I'm going, I'll bring that person on at 50 because it just makes sense because that's where the, the ratios are. And I go, but then it takes them like five years to get going where you get the guy at 90 that's flying straight off the bat and generating so much more revenue and opportunity. So that's what I found. Well, you need to create, like something you've just said there is you get the person at 50, you, if you're talking about sales, you're yeah, trying to sales. recreate yourself. Yeah, correct. So would you pay, would you go and earn 50 if you yeah. were sales? So, that's right. And I'm not saying you should have known this because we're, we're working this out ourselves, but go and get the guns and pay the extra money and just budget for it because, you know, we've worked out that if you get the right people, the the upside is is far more than yeah. trying to well, get someone at a lower wage, you know. So I think that's that's bang on something we can say straight away. A takeaway is fast tracking your business success is if you if you can afford to pay the gun and hire a high performer into your business, that should be the decision that you should be making. Like so, let's say three our business and your business have made that mistake. So our our audience don't have to do that. So we've hired the the half salary or the cheaper version with less experience a couple of years or fresh out of uni, as opposed to hiring someone with experience when we should have. And there's there's a role for both in the business. You can always hire someone on a lower salary and build them up. Yeah, but you can buy the best person at 50000 that's great in that role. Yes. You know, that for, that, for that position. But don't expect them to do the role of the really high-level sales person it's, that it's, you need. Yeah, it's in yeah. context and it's just someone else might be paying them thirty. You know, for that role. So you're, you're getting the best person for that, you know, for that income. Nick, you talked about the last three to four years, the change in your business. And I thought, mm. you know, I wanted to throw it to you as a younger business that's only been around five years, then you've got another nearly 10 years on me. So in that last couple of years, what have been the biggest things that have changed for you that you would have probably implemented earlier if you knew what you know now? Um. Look, for us, it, it was almost making a decision to grow, to be honest, um, as basic as that might sound, but making a decision to grow and having a plan to do it. So for us, you know, we um, we introduced a salary model for our sales team, which never used to be the case. Um, you know, we, we only had contractors, but what we found was that was really um, – you know, really a, a diminished market as far as trying to find a diminishing market is trying to find salespeople to come into our business by having a salary um, role. It just exposed us to so many more people, and you know, we're in the the planning and the mortgage broking space. So you know, people that work in banks, uh, they've been on wages. They don't want to go. Half the reason they don't go into sales roles is because they're worried about. Geez, now I'm on commission. So you know, how do we combat that? So. First, we made a decision that we wanted to grow and we're going to reinvest money to grow. And we had proof of concept too. Like we, there was a, there was a moment that we had where we said, geez, we've got a really good offering here to salespeople and we should be able to attract more of them. And what do we need to do that? Okay, well, we need to get away from a commission model and move into a salary and commission model. Uh, so that, that, that's the first thing. We knew we had a product um, that was going to help us grow. Second thing that I did was I just brought other people into the business and Marty's one of those. Um, we've got a general manager, so releasing myself completely from um, from dealing with clients, that that was definitely a game changer. And bringing in people like Marty, 
um, who were more experienced than I was, that I knew that would complement everything that we were doing. We had this great model, but now we need someone to complement it with the sales team. So, yeah, it's 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 bringing in experts into the business that um, that can add value to what we're already doing and then take it to the next level because there's so many only so many hours in the day and there's only so many um, things that I can be across. So bringing other experts in, you know, I did that with both with the mortgage business and the wealth business as well. Brought experts into those businesses that that helped expedite the growth. And I think Nick's been really clever in providing just a fantastic environment to work in. And I know we talk about culture, you know, loosely sometimes on the podcast, but I'm a big advocate of seeing the connectivity within the group. And you've got people that have come outside of Innovate um, that might have been 20 years in the industry and are doing their best performance in their careers within Innovate. And that says to me that we're providing, you know, stimulating environment, the right level of support and opportunities to allow really top people actually take that next level in their career. They make good money. They like servicing clients. They love the collaboration uh, within the team. And there's real care. There's actually real care. Everyone wants to do well together. And you don't always get that out in the market in that sales environment where it's you know, whoever sells the most has got the big ego and they're strutting it about. Whereas, you know, here it's about how do we perform as a rising tide? How do we perform together? No one gets left behind. And it's all about just just learning off each other. Like we're all growing together in collaboration. And that's a really unique proposition. You don't get it in corporates where you just tend to be told, look, you need to do that. And there is teams and a lot of talk about it. But there's that real tapestry of people enjoying where they're at, what they're doing and getting their best performance. And like today, we're talking about how to be sustainable. No point shooting the lights out, working a 70-hour week. So we say... How do we achieve the same level of performance in a 40-hour week? What do we have to find as efficiencies within ourselves as a team? What what changes do we need to make? Because you'd rather have someone that's happily performing for 10 years than shoots the lights out for two years and burns out. So it just doesn't make sense. So that's a lot of the discussion going. We've had massive volume, massive growth. How do we sustain it? How do we make sure we have a great life and actually up our performance by finding efficiencies within the timeframes we want to work. And I just think those types of conversations, absolutely brilliant. You wouldn't, you wouldn't mm. hear that anywhere else. It was just the most amazing, you know, instigated by the team itself. So just tremendous stuff. Yeah, and I think um, just on that too, Marty, you need to promote that outside your business. And this is something that's actually come up today because we're trying to hire at the moment and two – Two people that I interviewed today had been onto our website, had done some researching on our business, had gone on LinkedIn and had commented that, oh, look, everything looks great at your business. Um, I'd really love to work here. Now, you might think that most people are going to say that if they're in a job interview, but in the past, I've never had anyone bring that up. And so I think promoting your culture mm. outside of your business, whether it's through you know the numerous social platforms, but... Yeah, our business now is becoming recognised, and it's purely because we're putting it out there. Um, you know, we we if someone starts in our business or does something well, we'll post about it. Um, so people know our brand, and when they're they're researching us, they actually want to work for us, and that's that's been a huge turning point as well. And Nick, you're right. If you're getting that level of care for each other within the group, what do you think's happening to the client? 
you know, they're getting that level of care. So it's, and you know, that's a part of, you know, people say that sell is a bad four letter word. It's mm. not, it's really just providing solutions um, to the market and taking care of clients and delivering on that expectation. And I think we look at sales as really as a matter of, you know, giving those solutions to the market and, and looking at the client the same way, instead of looking at the client as a transaction that happens as a one-off, we ask ourselves, if we spend time with that client and really deliver to them, we're looking at the next 10 years. We're looking wider than the transaction, which of course creates more revenues, but it's a more enjoyable experience working with that client as well, because you're in it for the long haul. You're just not looking to you know, shoot yourself in the foot trying to win a quick sale. The whole different philosophy around it, but that that systemically filters throughout the group in the culture and then to the clients, which means there's more buy-in, more referrals come to you, and it's also being like Nick said, being proud of what we position in the market. Like like some people say, you don't position for a referral. I say absolutely you do, but you do it in your own style mm. because people aren't going to guess. Um, you know, what you do if you're not on socials. They're not going to guess whether you want a, re a referral from their network of friends because they think you're busy. So, you you know, you've got to be able to at least position it to say that's how we do business. We haven't got massive marketing budgets mm. like the banks. We actually, if we do a good job, we ask that you let people know and and um, we're happy to support as well. So it's, it's a very soft technique, but a soft sale technique, but... It's legitimate. If you don't ask, if you don't position it, you might get one or two out of the um, the excitement of the transactioning happening. Well, when you position it, you get that that ratio jumps to about five to six out of ten. So it's it's amazing. But it's just habit. It's doing the same things over and over again in your sales process, and and but doing it for a way of supporting people and clients. Yeah, definitely. There's something you touched on just then, Nick, as well that's been sitting on my mind was around the culture and value side and. One thing that, you know, as an outsider looking at your business and then thinking about it the other way, looking at my own, we recently had awards kind of get shared. We were nominated for Business Advisory Firm of the Year. You guys are nominated for, I think it's a, Brock st a, stock, um, a Broker of the Year Award. We were, yeah. Yeah, oh, we're, yeah we've made the final. You yeah. made the finals, yeah. a finalist. Yeah. Yeah, so we're a finalist, the year. Yeah. a finalist. So I think that as well, fast-tracking your business success, taking it back to that, you've got to put your name out there and you've got to put your hat in the ring. So- Again, building out systems and processes so that somebody in your business is keeping an eye on how do you get yourselves into these awards? How do you get your name up there on the big screen to say, Innovate's been nominated for stock, um, stock Mortgage Broker of the Year Award and Future Advisory is the business advisor, finalist in the business advisory firm of the year. That then drives people to want to come and work at your firm because you must be doing something right. Yeah, and that's a result of doing the right things mm. to the mm. market. So, mm. again, when those opportunities present, you don't do it for the awards, but when they present, you certainly leverage it out there and it, people are drawn to that as well. So it certainly is, is useful. But like you said, you think about you, your unique proposition to the market. You're an advisor beyond an accountant. Mm. You, you know, you're, you're doing strategies that a lot of accountants yeah. aren't doing out there. We're the same. I go, anyone can write a mortgage, but it's how are we writing the mortgage? Yeah. You know, what's the experience we want the client to have? Yeah. And not everyone gets to be a finalist either. Like I think Correct. some people look at awards and go, oh, it's a wank factor. You throw your own name in. But there are so many businesses out there that go for these things that don't even get their name up on the wall because it's, you know, it's dog eat dog world. It's a big market of people trying to win these things. 
Um, so I think that that's a huge one for getting out there. And I think it's something that I, I regret not doing earlier. Um, I think when we started RBK, uh, you know, pre-future, one of the things that we identified really early on was wanting to be the zero accounting partner of the year. Like that was a deliberate strategy that we chose because we knew that if we could target that a few years out, again, re- reverse engineer the plan and strategy to go, we will be successful because we wanted to run a business that was niche in zero accounting software. So if we became the zero accounting partner of the year, of course, that's going to make our business highly sought after. It's going to make people want to come and work for us. And I think we had a couple of year plan and we nailed it within a year and a half. We were the zero accounting partners of the year out of like 15,000 partners Australia wide. It was And the impact? Oh, massive. I mean, like even from an SEO point of view, I think we were discussing it around, you know, when we started, one of our strategies was, again, we had a strategy. That was probably step one, fast tracking your success, make a plan, write it down. But we wanted to be found on Google. So when somebody types in like tax return, Nari Warren or accountant Richmond, we knew we wanted to be number one. So we worked with um, our mates at Venn uh, agency to do our SEO. They made sure. And then they said, well, look, you need to be pu- published on other people's websites. And Zero had this huge domain rating. So again, if Zero published RBK advisory or future advisory on their site, it would prop us up. And now if you Googled zero accountant Melbourne, we were number one for so long because we were a zero accountant in Melbourne that had gone out of our way to rank for that and we'd won an award that said we were. So it's little things like that that fast track your success if you know what you're going after. That's why we're very fortunate to have um, Geordie Morrison as GM in our business because he's all over that. And he, you know, he knows Google reviews count, Mm, you know, getting great content on your website counts it's um another one how he's, how he's many, all over the stats how on many that, business owners are driving five-star reviews to their site like you know you ask for a referral but have you asked an existing client to go to your site and leave a five-star review like hey was my service good jump on google and let us know what you thought yeah and it's an awareness you know and and marty brought up jordan it's it's just about having people focus on these things and you don't know everything and the sooner you learn that and bring if it's not people in the business, into your business because you're not at that level or you don't need to hire anyone, um, make sure you're hanging around people or you, you're talking to people that do different things to you, that have different expertise that can um, help you progress, whether it's through a, a club or um, mm. some sort of network where, where, where you can leverage off other people's skill sets. Yeah. And so, I, don't, I don't mind the focus on you actually targeting the award that you thought was going to have the most leverage. I think that's quite clever because I've always thought – just serve as many people as you can the best way you can, and those awards open up in time. But I quite I quite like that thinking mm. of going, this is the impact point that's going to have the biggest leg- leverage in that market yep. for our business. I think that's a great strategy, mate. Even really personally, clever. like personal development-wise, I now, ne- now get to be on Zero's Partner Advisory Council. So I'm in the, the group at Zero where they bring in accountants and bookkeepers and advisors to sit on a council and give them feedback on what's working, what's not working, what does the community want. And I feel super privileged to be in that position. It's a, it's a great honor. It's um yeah, love that. But again, one of the things, Nick, around an advisory board that we talked about as well, you talked about um, memberships at clubs, you know, who you surround yourself with. And that made me think of the advisory board thing we'd mentioned uh, in the past and discussed. At what point... Well, tell us about an advisory board, what that means to you, and at what point do you think a business should put one in? Um, I don't think I don't think there is any specific 
point in time, I, I think straight away, yeah. uh, in, in my opinion. And the, the difference with an advisory board, it's not a board. It's not a board of directors. Um, like our advisory board, we don't pay. They're, they're people that, um, that want to give back that have been through a business journey, uh, whether it's similar to ours or, or beyond ours, that, that, that want to give back. And it doesn't even have to be an official advisory board. You could have mentors. Um, you could read books. You know, there's, there's so many other options out there. But the advisory board for us, just to give some background on that, is something that's, I think, six months in roughly. And we just realised that, you know, although we got Geordie we just spoke about and we've got Marty and we've got some other leaders in our business, we realised we were going um, going to a place that none of us had probably been um, based on the size of our business. So we needed people that had been there. So, um, you know, we, we went from, a, I guess, a small business to a medium business. So that brings in, um, you know, managing staff, reviews, KPIs, sales team, more of a corporate structure. So, you know, we needed help with that. So we've got three people on our board and they all bring different uh, different skill sets and um, one of those um, people um, has got a corporate background he's a CEO of a big business so he he brings in um, expertise on how to manage teams and bigger teams and corporatize your business uh, we've got someone with uh, a legal background none of us have legal, legal expertise and did our digital marketing strategy is is a big focus for us um, Marty mentioned Geordie before so we've also now brought someone in with a digital marketing background who's really helping us there. So for us, it's it's stuff we know we need help with. And again, it doesn't have to be a board. It can be a mentor. Um, it can be a book. It can be education. But, you know, get around people that that, that will help you because there's people out there that are willing to help. There's websites you can go to where people will actually give you advice, like mentor websites. So mm. take advantage of some of the stuff that's out there. Do you find accountability is a big thing too when you rock up to those meetings? Big time. And I'm going through my own learning process. Marty will, um, will 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 back me up here, but I've never run a board before. I've never run an sorry, not run a board, but run an advisory board meeting. So whereas the people in on our board, they've been on boards. They've yeah. been on boards with big businesses. Um, so you know, here we are fumbling around um, with agendas and and trying to take minutes. So I'm actually learning a lot around how that board needs to operate. Um, and, but the accountability thing is huge because it's okay. Well, you said you're going to do this and you've come to the next meeting we've, we've been caught out. You come to the next meeting and you've been so busy with everything you've done or that you're doing in your day-to-day business that you haven't actually focused on the things that you said you were going to focus on. So, uh, accountability is a big one. Uh, and I've, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah, and I think what what Nick was saying, even in regards to them having skill sets beyond ours, like we can only see what we can see Mm. from where we're at. So just having someone in corporate that's run, you know, mega teams, having someone with that law background to protect us, having someone on the socials, because like Geordie's fantastic in going out and exploring every option there is available for us. But with someone on the board like that, we can focus into the right area on when we're going to get the most impact. And, and you know, Geordie's going to learn a lot out of that, like we all do in our different areas. But uh, I think it's sensational. And even in the early days, uh, going back in my first business, just what Nick was saying before, I would get um, four business owners from different industries together and actually just hold those types of meetings and learn from other industries as well. Now, that didn't cost anything except a lunch uh, every month, but it was just that accountability group to go, 
well, I don't know anything about business. I'm just starting out, right? So, you know, just to, again, have people that have done it, have done well, and they can put information to you in a nice way, and I just go, and and it counts ultimately. You just accelerate your way forward. Well, it's about being challenged as well. Absolutely. And, and that's probably the biggest thing with the board, in my opinion. It's you run so hard in your business and you get an idea, and of course it's a good idea because you came up with it, and that's where all your focus is going, that – you don't have time um, to sit above that idea, look down on it and go, okay, well, let's look at this objectively. Is this really a good idea? Because that's what we're doing. So having someone come in and look at um, something completely, um, I guess, un, you know, without any bias and to challenge what we're doing and making sure that, you know, we have looked at all of what, what are the other opportunities that we're missing out on because we're going so hard at this at at, at, at this at this line so yeah i think challenging our ideas and, and accountability has been mm. been really good and, and how many times nick the next day we're ringing each other going oh geez like i had this overnight <laughs> put a coming out through it. board meeting or we're getting rid of this <laughs> yeah. based yeah. on that and it's it's um it's so helpful to just remain focused and challenged and yeah. you know grow even in just talking about this like what we've gone back and forward with i noted you know thinking back to right back the very first year when I was able to step out of the job and take the salary from the business, I joined um, Business Over Breakfast, like a bob club. And again, being surrounded by other business owners, like what you said, all different walks of life, different um, industries. There was cleaners, there was builders, there was social media people, but I got to sit over breakfast and just pick the brain of all these other business owners to find out what were they doing, what was working, what wasn't working. you know. And they were turning to me for similar kind of advice around their tax and accounting and that fast-tracked, I think, a lot of development. So putting yourself out there to grow your network and surround yourself by different people, not just from your industry and your walk of life. So I think your advisory board, having people from different backgrounds and different expertise is perfect. I think as well, one of the other biggest things that influenced our success so far and, and how we've grown to the size we are in under five years, um, Business Blueprint. A shout out to Dale Beaumont and the program Business Blueprint. I did that as an employee at another accounting firm. I'd fly to Sydney to be out of the business. I'd be there for four days every quarter for like a big long weekend of kind of masterclasses and all day, every day to just be education on a specific topic that bring in guest speakers and you'd sit there with these workbooks and just learn how to implement changes in your business. And it was, it wasn't necessarily super complicated stuff. It was do you have systems and procedures? No? Okay. Open up the Google Drive. You're going to create a systems and procedures manual right now live in the thing and people would actually sit there and start to do it. But if you were back at your business and with emails coming in and whatever, you probably wouldn't do it. You'd go, ah, systems and processes. Yeah, I'll do that later and get around to it later. And years down the track, you don't have systems or processes in your business. Yeah. Mm. It takes, uh, they always say, takes a lot of complexity to get to the simplicities that work. Well, it's, and it's, it's, and uh, real it's life example, um, second accounting firm I worked at, the uh, main admin team um, lady, she went away and nobody knew how to turn the answering machine on or off at the start or the end of the day. And and literally this was a real, like business blueprint had said, like that's like 101 if you're going to do a process or a system or a process, write down how to turn the answering machine on or off in case somebody can't come to work that day. Nobody knows how to turn the phone system on. And it bloody happened. And I sat there going, my God, like, 
cannot believe this just happened. And, and look, even as a strategy, Jace, I think we talk about going to networking events, which is fantastic as well. And you, you, know, you probably target people within there that you want to talk to. But again, you can instigate that group as well. So if you mm-hmm. have people that you admire that are getting successful results and you think that's a value add and you can be a value for them, then get them together, make the call. So many people don't make the call and explore that opportunity. Even if you're getting together once every two months or once a quarter, it's going to add value at that early stage. So again, you're going to see beyond yourself by doing that and you're going to take back ideas, even if it's different industries that you can implement in your own business and accelerate that growth. So I think we're at that stage now where we're looking at that being much more corporatized But the fundamentals are the same. We're still stretching and challenging ourselves based Mm. upon that accountability piece and the expertise coming from these people. But you can do it at any level in business and it doesn't have to cost you a fortune. Mm. It's just, yeah, everyone's just got to be on board and happy to be on board. Well, guys, that's been episode 16. Today's episode on the wrap-up, I think my biggest learning, Nico, is going to be from the advisory board. Um, Rather than waiting to 13, 14 years in, I think uh, getting that done sooner rather than later to formally have some people in our corner to give us some advice on, on where we're heading and how to get there. That's uh, what I'm going to do, guys. What, was, what about yourself, Marty? Uh, for me, it's about just leveraging a high-performance culture and really taking on the great things within the team and, like you said, Jace, outside of the team on an advisory board. But, again, we're always learning, we're always growing, no matter where we're at in the business. And us as leaders need to grow as much as our teams need to grow. So that's what I take away. We're always growing. Do it sustainably. Do it effectively. Nick? And I guess the over the overarching thing I've learned is that there's help out there everywhere. Advisory board, networking groups, mentors. As I said, there's there's websites that um, that you can actually go on and find a mentor. So, you know, put the feelers out, read books, um, try and find people that can help you because they're out there and they don't all cost money. Or tune into a podcast like this one. This has been episode 16 of The Numbers Game. Send us your email, hello at thenumbersgamepodcast.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Game over, gentlemen. Game over, gentlemen.